if you like being an SDR and you like doing that process, there's organizations that absolutely will value that and that you can do that long term. Mm -hmm. It's just finding the company that's going to put that onus on you and let you do that. Mm -hmm. That's where there's a little bit of a gap right now. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Jake Aiken, live and direct in person. It's a pleasure to be here. In the house. In the house. Back in the house. Back in the house. Back in the house. How long has it been, Jake? Since I've been in here? Yeah, man. At least three years. Wow. Three and a half since I left. Since I was hired out, it's you were hired out, and your story is amazing. So we we'll, want we'll to get into that. Definitely, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say amazing. I think it's it's a chronicle. <laughs> it's very rare. Just to tease it a little bit, very rare that somebody gets converted by their client, goes through, goes to the company, that startup gets acquired, and then the person who started off as a member of Blue SDR just continues to rise through the ranks at where they got hired. I can't. Yeah, it's rare. Rare. So that's why it's, it's amazing rare. to me. Anything rare is amazing. No, I guess it, it seemed natural at the time, but yeah. looking at it now, it, it does seem like an anomaly and, and surprising. But it, I don't know. One day just led to a month, led to you know half a year, and the, it all made sense. But yeah, looking at it now, in oh, retrospect, it seems pretty fast. And his re- his recruiting cycle was well over a year, probably two year, two year, two year long recruiting cycle to come to work for us, to come to work with everybody. us. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. So now, so yeah, man. And let, let's talk about it. But, well, first of all, that's a testament to your talent and your how hard you work on the other tests. That this should this just happen magically. I agree with what you're saying, yeah. but there was a magic. I okay. mean, all all the variables had had to be there. If I wasn't, you know, if I didn't have them as a client, yeah, if I yeah, didn't have the true. opportunity to go on site, I wouldn't have blended with the culture, and it's. It's all of those different components, and it just happened to be what I was looking for from an organizational standpoint. I wanted a small company. I wanted that room to grow. I wanted that visibility, and thankfully, RiseSmart was the perfect client to let that all happen. And sticking with it and giving it the time that it really needed to really come to fruition also was a big factor. But right. at the time, it, you know, the patience and everything, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is... I don't know if this is going to make sense. And then, you know, three years later, it's like, wow, that was the, the perfect formula and recipe. To We're going to detail before that, though. So you live in California now, but you're not from California, right? From Wisconsin. We're going to just tell us about that. Where are you from? Where you grew up? The whole nine. From a small town in Wisconsin, a little village actually is 700 people. And in high school, we moved 700 the, people, 700 people, the village of Hewitt, the city in the center. <laughs> that, that's small. Two churches and a bar. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like growing up there? I mean, we had a big yard over an acre. We mm-hmm. had, you know, cows in the pasture in the backyard, a big cornfield, and everyone was pretty close knit and welcoming and yeah. and friendly. And that's honestly kind of how I got my my start in what I would call sales now, because I you would knock on doors and ask, hey, do you need someone to shovel your driveway? Do you need someone to pick the weeds in your landscaping? Do you need someone to do some lawn mowing? And yeah. you know, it just kind of started out where I, I got a couple neighbors and you know they were on board with it. And then all of a sudden they turned into clients and I was you know doing that all How summer you? long. Like 12 years old. Oh, 
Oh. He needs to come to the TOV. <laughs> nobody knocking on doors in the town Chris and I live in. Yeah. Asking, no. asking, yeah. asking your line. Dude, I like, wouldn't knock on doors in San Jose. <laughs> <laughs> you might. I would if people had yards. People yeah. had yards. People got yards in Virginia. Yeah. So Okay. So you started talking about high school. Well, how big was the high school? There were 350 people in my graduating class. So this. It's right. pretty big for, yeah, size. for the size of the town. Yeah. Yeah. But the sales thing kind of reared its head early with you. If you're if you're 12 years old, you keep yourself busy in the summer. Yeah. Well, I mean, my parents were teachers and, mm. you know, they, my mom grew up on a farm. I mean, they were dairy farmers and Christmas tree farmers and family still does that, in fact. So okay. the, the hard work and the ethics and, you know, nothing in life being free and you got to work for everything was instilled in us from a young age. And even yeah. though, my parents had the summers. They were like, "Hey, if you want to, you know, have a little extra spending money to do X, Y, Z, then you got to make that happen." Because mm -hmm. we're not just going to foot the bill for everything. Yeah. So, kind of figuring out how to make those the side hustles happen and you know get a little pocket money is what got me going. And then it's like, holy smokes, I can make some decent money doing this, and you know it's a lot faster than you know the two dollars an hour I got weeding for my mom and dad. So, yeah. <laughs> start working with the neighborhood and that's that's kind of how it, it began and i did that all through middle school and high okay. school and even through college really just kind of added on full-time employment on top of that really but uh, the brothers sisters i have one sister she's two years younger than me two years younger okay so you had to kind of show her the way i tried i tried <laughs> um she's smarter than i am i mean i'll, I'll say that flat out from a book's perspective yeah. and so she she had the academics and the math and whatnot and she's you know she's in healthcare. she's got her master's degree in health administration yeah. and She's a little more well off in that regard. I had to kind of figure out where I could make my make my niche. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Love it, man. Love it. All right. So you went to high school. You're in high school. What do you think you're gonna do? Like when you when you're you know coming out of high school, going to college? It's a great question. I thought I was gonna be a doctor. <clears throat> Everyone kind? in my community that was successful, had money, was a physician. Mm -hmm. it, where I'm from, there's kind of three different tiers of people. There was the the medical community. Mm -hmm. There was the education community, which we were a part of, and then there was the true manufacturing labor community. Mm -hmm. I mean, those were the three primary only industries in our town. So my whole upbringing was if you you know, you want to be successful and you want to take vacations and you want to go skiing and do these things that require some funds, then you have to be a doctor. And so I, I took a ton of science classes and math classes. And you know, like I said, that wasn't really my strong suit but that's where i you know buckled down and when i went to college i was a biomedical science major you know i chose lacrosse because it was the number one program for that what really did you do you play sports or anything else besides i did i swam yeah, yeah I, I remember my dad swimmer. was a cross country and track coach yeah, and so yeah, yeah. i had to pick one of his sports so i chose cross country my sister did track okay and actually i i did started swimming as cross training you did for cross country michael phelps had his you know big debut in beijing in yep. 2008 and I watched him. I'm like, wow, that, that was awesome. So went out for swimming and it actually, from first time I hit the water, it was my first love. So really pivoted and cross country became my secondary kind of cross training sport and dedicated all my energy into swimming. I was actually conference champ in the hundred free my senior you, year. You were free, free? You swam free, you got yeah. the leg for it. I was a sprinter. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I tried to fly a little bit. <laughs> uh, arm technique wasn't quite there, but that's a Baller, muscle it through a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But 
we could, I want to talk about swimming a little bit later and kind of equating anything that the discipline that comes with that sport and the sales, but we'll, we'll come into it. So, but sort of go back. So, you were in college. Yeah, I started out as a biomedical yeah. science major, and you know, first semester is kind of a, a rude awakening with you know chemistry and math and statistics and all the rest oh, of it. And man. after the first second semester, then I had to you know kind of reevaluate because I had a three point three GPA, and yeah. my advisor sat down with me and they're like, "Jake, you need three point nine to get into medical school." And with this, you know, you're okay. You're gonna get a job, but you're gonna end yeah. up. You're gonna end up in a lab, you're, a bio yeah. lab, looking through a microscope. Yeah. And I was so afraid of that being my future. I'm like, I can't be in a lab with <laughs> yeah. no one around me. Like yeah. that's, that's <laughs> totally not gonna be a good fit. So I, I went into teaching. Yeah. And I, I started student teaching. I, I did this for two more years. And Wisconsin's politics system with the the teaching side went through some turmoil and. I wasn't 100% on board with that direction. So then it came time to really figure out what I was going to do because the, the doctor route didn't really click and teaching didn't seem like it'd be a perfect fit. So I was talking with my mom and you know my mom went to school to be a nurse and my dad went to school to be a teacher. And so it was pretty translative where you do this and then you get a job doing that. Yeah. Like, what do you want to do, Jake? And you know, it was... I couldn't really put an answer to it. And so my parents, you know, they're very encouraging. They're like, you need to get some experience. Like you can't get a job telling people you mowed lawns, you know, for a living. That that's not yeah. gonna work. Yeah, you have yeah. to you have to get an internship. You gotta some actually places. most places get right. some experience. Yeah. So I grabbed my assignment notebook. You know, I'm I'm a pen and paper guy. At this time I had switched my majors now where I was a double major in interpersonal communication studies. Mm-hmm. And then I loved writing. You know, I, I do the Christmas cards still to this day. And yeah. so my other major was English rhetoric and writing with a minor in literature. So two kind of different focuses with calm, you know, taking the liberal arts kind of perspective. And I grabbed my assignment notebook where I wrote down everything that was, you know, going on for class projects, my schedules and I go to this career fair and I'm, I'm walking around and I have to get an internship. You know, that's what mom and dad said I need to do to, you know, be able to stay and you know live in the summer and have some fun and whatnot. So I'm going around and I'm talking to all these different businesses. And the first one was like a, a paving company. <laughs> like, do you want to make $30 an hour? I'm like, heck yes. Like, yeah. Do you want to you know be covered in tar all day? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I talked to this second business and it was called around campus group. Mm. And I'm holding my assignment notebook, and I'll never forget this. The, the manager there, her name was Rachel Hanley. She's like, hey, I see you have this assignment notebook. How often, how often do you write in this thing? And I flip it open. I'm like, every single day, you know, I'm using it constantly. And it turns out what Around Campus did is they sold collegiate advertising, print and digital, to all the local businesses, and you'd get them to advertise in this student planner. Mm-hmm. Like, what's this all about? And she's like, basically, you make your own ads. It's entire entrepreneur based you Mm -hmm. make of it what you want we bring everybody down to north carolina we do a comprehensive sales training you can you know if you want you can run the team in lacrosse you can be a sales rep if you want to run the you know just want to go out and focus on the business side depending on what you want to do and it was the opportunity that i've been looking for it was one of those aha moments that made total sense to me from the first conversation but i didn't even know that it was an, an option so Threw my name in the ring. I'm like, I, I want to interview for this job. And 
I applied online and I think it was a month later, I was down in Daytona beach having spring break and mm -hmm. got a phone call that I was in really no shape to answer. <laughs> hey Jake, it's Rachel Hanley. We want to bring you on board. There's two positions. One is the sales team leader and one is a sales rep. You know, if you want to be the sales team leader, we'd love to have you. And of course I was like, heck yeah, I'll take the sales team leader job. Not really knowing what it was about, but yeah. let's, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. And that really, kind of catapulted and jump-started my entire sales experience. And, you know, from there, then I got a job with the Alumni Foundation at the university where we call you know, parents and previous grads and try to get some money for them to start scholarship How'd funds. How did you get that and, job? You just kind of saw it or like? My ex-girlfriend okay. actually got the job the semester before okay. I started there. And she's like, Jake, this would probably be a perfect fit for you. Mm -hmm. And I, I interviewed for it and I, I got hired. And actually the first semester I was our number one seller with credit cards and everything else. So it was kind of a, it just made sense. And yeah, I, you know, jump started into around campus from there and flew down to North Carolina and had the training and got up so in front of a group of 200 people and did a live, you know, role play. When was that? When was that? When, so when did you go to North Carolina in your college tenure? May of 2016. And then what year were you? Was that it was before my fifth year before with all the major year. changes yep, and everything. Yep, yep. I had to go one final year, but okay. still with changing twice and graduating with two degrees and a minor, I was pretty yeah. happy that that happened <laughs> well, the way it happened. You're yeah. trying to give your sister a run for the money with the degrees, right? So, 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 so it was the summer before your senior year, summer before so you my did, senior year, you're down in North Carolina. Fly down to North and Carolina. Tell people what went on then. Cause I miss, I, this, I forget about this. I really miss interviewing around campus people. Because I would always ask them about their summers, mm -hmm. and they would tell me, and it sounded like such a great experience. It's amazing. It was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, I I had never worn a suit. You know, I I I was a you know regular Joe from Wisconsin kind of guy. You know? <laughs> Sweatpants and t-shirts, and right. so you know had to had to go to Macy's and Kohl's right. and you know get some dress shoes and get a get right. a suit and some ties and. I'm looking at the pictures now. It's like, wow, that was some out of style stuff. <laughs> you know, it got the job done, and you know, you, you pack a bag, and I hadn't really been on a plane by myself before mm -hmm. or anything like that. So it was it was all new. But you you land, and you know the you you get to that that Charlotte Airport, and you you or Raleigh Airport, excuse me, and you you go down these stairs, and there's all these people in matching T-shirts, and they're you know. Rah, 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 roaring, welcoming at the airport? you at the airport. Wow, they had it down. Then you get on this bus and they cart you off to the dorms at you know Chapel Hill. And it's the whole UNC cobblestone brick experience. Wow. And it was it was awesome. And you're, there were 750 people who are in the exact same boat as you. Yeah. You're all a little cocky. You're all feeling pretty good that you got selected for this. And then it starts that next chapter where now I have to prove myself. Yeah. I, I got here, yeah. but now there's 700 people that are all here and how do I make myself stand out? And so it was interesting. You know, I, I really jumped at every opportunity. I'm like, I'm, I don't care if I embarrass myself. Yeah. I don't care what any yeah. of these people think. I'm from little UW lacrosse and there's, you know, like university of Miami and Ohio state, yeah. and, you know, UCLA and like, like big schools that, you know, like I watch their sports on TV. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like no one's, no one's heard of UW lacrosse. Like I was lying to people. I told everyone I went to Madison just so they knew, you know, like where I was from. And it was awesome though, because everyone either crashed and burned or struggled mm -hmm. or, you know, crushed it from the first time. And, you, know, you kind of get to, to see how everyone works and okay, that, that went really well for that guy or that gal. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to adopt a little of this. And 
really just learning that who I am and what I, you know, what I brought to the table is, is okay. And it's going to get me this far. And, you know, gaining that self-confidence was the most pivotal part, I think, of the entire experience. And they're true. So hold on. So they're training you there. Full right? on. And what, full, you get a playbook. What do they train you in though? To, what, to do what? Outbound, in-person, B2B sales. Door to door. You're going to 30 to 35 businesses every single workday. You're sitting down with an actual decision maker and you're giving them the full pitch. You're building the value. You're creating the ads that you think mm -hmm. would make sense. And you're trying to get them to buy into this solution and see how they can get more students to come to their place. Yeah. And so you're, And you're walking, just walking in the door knocking. Not even door knocking. He's walking in, right? Because it's a business. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I tried to make appointments ahead of time. Yeah. You know, everyone's giving you the runaround. And this is a whole summer. I mean, you have four months from the end of May until August. Yep. To close all this, you know, out. So, so you're trained in this in North Canton Chapel Hill with a bunch of other ball playbook, upstarts. Yeah, yeah. You know, verbatim script that you have to memorize yeah. and you know <clears throat> process it out. And you're doing role plays, and you've got the you know the group that you're going to be working with at your school. So it was me, Brady, Mackenzie, and Trevor. There was the four of us that yeah. were representing UW Lacrosse. So you know, getting to know each of them and what made them tick. And then it's like, all right, you graduated. You know, we had the, the final ceremony and we're going to fly you all back and Monday it's go live. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> here we go. And you know, the, the fear comes bubbling out, but it's, it's make or break time. Yeah. So you got 95 days to make it all happen. So I'll never forget this. We, we flew back and we had our, our first meeting and, you know, it was awesome. They had it organized by time zone. So they had three meetings, you know, every yeah. day at, you know, seven o'clock sharp and, You'd get on, there was a big, you know, getting pumped up and excited about, you know, how we're going to make this opportunity happen. And you're mapping out on, you know, the the whole city map with all the businesses. You go to the Chamber of Commerce and you find out about all these places you didn't even know existed. And yeah. you start, you know, charting, okay, this is what I'm going to do the first day. And my first day, I went to a bank, a credit union. Yep. And I also went to a, a different pub. I, I, know, I know I hit like 46 places because I'm like, you know, 30 is the goal. Got to do 40 because I want to yeah. yes. be above the mark. Yes. I'm yep. leading this team. I yep. got to set the example. <laughs> and the credit union, I, I went in and I started talking to a director of operations. And she was interested in what we had to sell. You know, they hadn't done any advertising for the, the school. And I just, I remember asking her, do you guys have a program dedicated for college kids? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, we have a bike loan program. Like, What's the bike loan program? She's like, well, students, you know, they either don't have a credit card or they can't get financed. They're trying to build some credit. So we offer a program where people can buy a bicycle, typically around four or 500 bucks, and we finance that. Mm -hmm. Gives them the initial credit that they need so they can start building that foundation. Like, this is awesome. So I went home and I took out a little note card and I, it was, uh, CEFU was the credit union and I drew a little guy on a bike and like start your credit line here as a student and you know put some little color in it and brought it in the next day and she let me then meet with the president and we had like a 20 minute convo and I walked out of there with a check and they bought a front cover spot what couldn't believe it then I go to this bar this is the first day so then I go to this bar. Guns check. I'm not gonna lie I was an avid nightlife inhabitor of yeah. the community. <laughs> and so in my head, I'm like, if I can bring a couple of my buddies to all these bars, we can show them that just by having five people, you can start racking up some tabs and we can make this revenue 
realize. Yeah. Yeah. So I brought all my buddies the first day to the first bar and I had an advertisement. I had the mobile app ready to go. Day two, we sold that bar. And so that just kind of jump started it where I'm like, okay, if I can bring this to life and I can make people really see the vision and, and show them that this is opportunity, I can make something happen here. And my little UW lacrosse, you know, team ended up finishing in the top 25 in the country and I was rep number seven out of 750. Seven out of 750. One, two other people at the bigger schools ended up having more revenue closed in September. So officially I'm at number nine out of 750 <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. paperwork. Yeah. So I got bumped back a little bit, but I closed out at number seven. Unbelievable. Um, and it was honestly, it was trying to find different ways to, to get in there and be as creative as possible. And really, I hate to say illuminate the gaps, but really it was showing people a solution that they hadn't considered before. I mean, there was an instance with a towing company. One of my colleagues went in and he got kicked out. Mm -hmm. I mean, flat out, like we advertised with you last year. It was a waste of money. We had no one, you know, use any of this. In fact, you guys actually sold an advertising spot to another towing company and I was mm -hmm. promised to be exclusive. These two guys with crowbars kind of walked up and they're like, you know, it's time for you to go. And so yeah. he left. He was like, I'm, we're never going back there. He told me this story. I'm like, it doesn't sound like this guy is actually mad that he didn't get any people. He's mad that someone else, another towing company, got a spot that he said to be exclusive. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this is interesting. So I, I drew up a huge ad for him, put it on the, taped it on the back cover, prime real estate spot for what we were selling. And I went in there. I'm like, look, I know that Don's was the other towing company, you know, got this little front cover blip and you're upset about that. What if we move them to the inside front cover because we have it renewed and we give you this entire back page? A little bit of a discount, all of a sudden walked out of there with a signed contract. So it really showed me that as long as you're creative and you keep an open mind, there's endless opportunity here. And it, it made me incredibly hungry to start a career in sales. It's and interesting, right? Because people think creativity isn't part of the sales game. But according to you, it is. It is. Yeah. It's it's how you apply it. You, I mean, being overly creative is a distraction, but it's applying that creativity to resonate with exactly what that person's need is and uncovering that gap and how it all comes twofold to illuminate an area that they hadn't maybe considered before. And that's, I think, how I was pretty successful when I first started with that. But then I got hired as the you know, brand manager and ambassador, and then I interviewed with Around Campus, and they actually hired me as a regional sales manager. Yeah. So the summer ended, you went back to school, you finished seven, yep. we want to go with seven, officially and unofficially, and you did your, but you're like, okay, why didn't this be like, I want to pursue a current sales? Yes, I knew that with 100% certainty. And what uh, happened? I got hired school. by Around Campus. Okay, yeah, so Around Campus. So, so was like, hey, inter interviewed with them, and yeah, they offered me, there were three territories that were open. So my manager in Wisconsin had gotten promoted to a district manager. So her spot was open in Wisconsin. There was also a territory in Denver, Madison. Mm -hmm. Okay. She, yeah. she left. And yeah. so that was open. And then California was an open territory in Southern California. And I'd been to Colorado the year before for a you know family trip. It was a lot of fun, but California seemed a little bit even better and I had never been there before. So inexperienced Jake was like, I'll take the California territory. How different can it be from Wisconsin? <laughs> <laughs> well, little did I know. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I flew out actually the week before I graduated from college even. So oh. I, had to, I had to fly back the day before to walk and do mm -hmm. all that stuff. It was Mother's Day and I, you know, 
Good love, my mom. No, yeah, not, not good to see that. So yeah, yeah. Took care of all that. But yeah, I met all these, you know, reps then from California and, you know, started learning about some of the culture differences and whatnot and flew out to Los Angeles. I landed at 1230 in the morning. I drove to my hotel in Inglewood and 715 the next morning. We were selling for, you know, California State, Los Angeles. And I was learning all about these different California towns and it was a, a whirlwind ride. So what was the territory? Fresno through Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Wow. Lots of, and how many reps? There were, when we started the summer, there were 18. Okay. And we finished the summer with 14. 14. And talk talk about how the pay worked for the reps. How, I'm sorry? Talk about how the pay worked for the, the reps. So the reps... <laughs> They were interns. Uh, I would, that's the, the technical uh, hiring qualifications for all of them. Yeah. They were paid $200 a week, and then they got commission payments on top of what they actually sold. So from an earnings perspective, it wasn't the most lucrative position unless you delivered. Right. And so that was, I mean, the entire structure of the model was to reward high performers, yep. to encourage people. I mean, it's B2B. You had to, you know, actually get out and hit the hit the ground and you know get that visibility. So off the top of my head, I, I don't know exactly what the pay rates No, were but it was for, essentially it was two hundred bucks a week. Two hundred bucks a week. Wow. Which is not a, not a lot of money, especially when you're in California. Two hundred dollars a week? Two hundred dollars a yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta give people to take the job, right? Yeah. I mean, there's some other stuff that comes with it, right? But like, that's how you know you 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 have to say that out loud at some point to someone, right? Yeah. And when you're an independent contractor, so that you know it's <laughs> you don't have any taxes pulled out, right? You know, so I I remember spending every penny of my 200 a week, and then December came and my dad's like, "You owe like three grand, in, you know, taxes," and I'm like. What are you talking about? So and my poor dad had to help me out a little bit there because I what was I gonna do? I have loans, you know. <laughs> so let's talk about the second summer when you're when you're leading, leading, leading the team. It was wild. I mean, it was I mean the company itself was entering its, you know, next chapter of, you know, honestly kind of winding down as an organization and I mean, we were really clinging to the the print media yeah. life, and especially in California. I mean, Yelp had been here for two and a half years. I mean, we're talking 2017. I mean, this yeah. is four years ago. The tech ago. landscape looked entirely different. Yeah. So, you know, we were selling new connection, and we we're you know asking people to pay 800 bucks just to list themselves on the app, and you know, we're getting huge pushbacks. Like, why would I do this when I can get free visibility on Yelp? And you know, already running into these obstacles and you know even my reps were using tablets and whatnot to you know log everything and going in trying to sell a print platform it was really falling on deaf ears mm -hmm. and so trying to i could say this so the i mean the businesses that you targeted almost had to be more legacy type businesses that weren't fully adopted into the technical sphere because it's print platforms mm -hmm. so in a way, it was almost selling a solution that wasn't going to necessarily deliver as well for these businesses as they maybe could have if they had looked at something else. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was kind of the, the writing on the wall where it was time to maybe start evaluating a pivot. And I, I know my reps were giving me a lot of pushback and feedback that it just didn't seem to be meeting the demands of the market. And 
we certainly understood that, but we also had a job to do. Mm -hmm. And come August, uh, me and all of the other regional managers that I was close with, we just, we got a call from HR and it was quite simply, you know, it's been great having you, but the company's direction is pivoted. You know, today's your last day. Mm -hmm. What a great experience though. Yeah. For your first summer out of school and the way you talk about it is so compelling because you have a real good handle on what's happening, mm -hmm. right? And what you're going through. And to go through that so early in your career, your first job? He lived in a hotel the entire summer. Well, yeah. that's, I was just about to say that. I mean, I was driving between 1,000 and 2,500 miles a week. You know, Fresno to San Diego is a little bit of a hike. And yeah, I had no home base. I didn't have an apartment. I didn't have a you know place to call home. I had two suitcases and a duffel bag and rental cars. And, you know, every night my parents flew out actually for 10 days just to see what it was like. <laughs> yeah. And, well, they did. I mean, it was wild. My, you know, they're like, we're, like, what are you doing? They're like, you're in Santa Barbara. Now you're in San Luis Obispo. And then you're in Tucson. Then you're in Phoenix. Then you know, you're driving up to Flagstaff. And so like, we want to, you know, want to see what this is about. And they, my parents, you know, they're teachers and they had summers yeah. off. So. Yeah. They lasted like six days. <laughs> They're like, really long. They almost made like, it. We got to go. <laughs> this, was, this is it. And so, yeah, it was, it was fun. But, you know, for them, it was, you know, we, we check out of the hotel at eight in the morning, seven in the morning and get to the spot and, you know, they're stuck. You know, they were essentially homeless. They, yeah. you know, in California, there's no restrooms that you can just go to. There's no yeah. spot to sit. So they'd be in these college towns. Like we got to find a library so yeah, we can yeah. go find a spot to chill because yeah. they're holding their bags and whatnot. And that was it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm with my reps driving around yeah. and it was, you know, you clock out for the day at five o'clock when you're finished with everything and you, know, you grab a bite to eat and you'd get in the car and you drive a couple hours to the next spot you get about halfway there. And then you'd log into hotels.com and, Okay, you know, what's the discounted hotel? Because I only had a budget of $120 a day. Yeah. So trying to find a place in LA for that price, you know, that was a bit of a challenge and stayed at some, you know, places I would never stay at now. But it was yeah. all part of cutting my teeth and learning. That's right. What an experience. That's a shame that places out of yeah. business, man. What yeah. a great, great experience for I was all never, these young people. It was like Sorry. 10 years of learning and, you know, yeah. a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, right. It was, it was at wild. Least, at least that much. At least that much. And when you talk to 30 different business owners, you know, mm -hmm. a day, I mean, that's a lot of conversations. It's a mm -hmm. lot of, I mean, just the contracting side of it, yep. you know, it's it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, you're talking, you're spending your time with people who own a business who, you know, that is that's a different type of, I'm not saying this because I own a business. It's just a different type of business person, right? It's a different take. It's a different perspective. It's, a, it's just everything about it is different. And you're just doing that all summer, every day, Right. And, and you learn to communicate a different way and you learn how to get to the point, how to have really interesting conversations and how to win some and lose some. Right. Oh, there were losses. Yeah. Absolutely losses. But you know, it's walking in and it's, I know you're not expecting me. Is this a good time? Yeah. Just mapping that out. And you know, in the back of your head, it's like, I've only got two more months yeah. to, to make this happen and you know, trying to show as much value as you can. And there were, you know, there's still some places that haunt me, honestly, to this day, where it's like, oh, I know I could have, you know, could have done something there. And there's, there's also instances where it's like, I, I don't know why you bought this, but yeah. <laughs> so we'll, so we'll get into you bouncing out of around campus. But what, how did we, we, we met him earlier, right? Or you tell that uh, story. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll let Jake talk. So when I was a rep, actually, yep. at around campus group, 2016 is when I met Kristen Wisdorf. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she was so articulate. And where'd you meet her? Chapel Hill. Okay. In the gym. 
Yeah. Memory Blue Booth. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. She was she was one of three people that were there. And I there was a huge line. I'm sure you guys remember this. Uh, I do it was remember. like fifty people deep. I waited yeah. like ten minutes just to get some visibility. Shook her hand, we said our hellos. I had a blue shirt on and like a blue tie, and you know, she complimented that. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna remember this. And then <laughs> I, I found her later. We had a, like a group dinner and I singled her out and introduced myself again. And I just kind of kept in touch with her. I added her on LinkedIn. And then when I got hired as a regional manager, she was back again, you know, working with the reps. And then I, I really started sitting down and I wanted to know her background. And she's actually from Wisconsin yes. originally too. And yes. she went through the same process where she was a rep at her own campus group. Yep. And, you know, she was from Toma. And so, you know, it's like an hour and a half away from where I'm from. So I just, I felt this deep, deep, deep seated, almost companionship with, with who she was. I loved her career trajectory. And then of course, everything happened with around campus mm -hmm. group. And I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, like you said, I've, you know, I've only been out of college now for you know four or five months and it was unexpected. I thought I was going to cut my teeth here for about a year or so. I, fell back on my profile and my, my connections and my network. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, all you have is who you have. So I started talking to everybody and Kristen was one of the, the first people I reached out to. And I mean, from the very first conversation she had, it, she was so receptive to, you know, what had happened and you know the situation and honestly gave me the, the opportunity to at least get my foot in the door at memory blue and, you know, introduced me to Libby mm -hmm. And we had our first conversation and I, you know, started to dive into a little bit more about what Memory Blue did and then started looking at the different offices. But yeah, Kristen was the the catalyst that really opened my eyes to Memory Blue and, and, and got me here. And it was all the all the little stuff in between, the money booth and the, the metaphors and you know, taking the dollar 15 feet up and <laughs> trying to find the, the ways to get it where I'm like, okay, this this seems like a place that, that has a competitive edge. So I, I kept it in my back pocket and after the incident happened with around campus, I interviewed at Federated Insurance, mm -hmm. I interviewed at Gartner, and I interviewed at Memory Blue. And I received the Memory Blue offer before I finished at Federated, mm -hmm. and that was the end. I'm like, I know that this is what I want. I stopped with Federated and jumped full into Memory Blue. That's great. And I remember you, it was big, it was important, but you still wanted to live in California. I did. I still do. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I mean, there's... There's so much opportunity here. Yeah. I mean, even talking to the, you know, the SDRs now, four years later, it's, you know, all the different clients and, you know, the tech space, you know, talking with Omar, it's, it's, this is the place where, you know, innovation happens, where the, the pulse is, you know, determined by everything. So I just, I, I wanted to be here. I wanted to be part of this and I want to be part of something bigger than what I had growing up and you know in wisconsin there's epic systems there's you know some organizations in milwaukee but that's that's about it yeah and, you know out here it's there's a new company every couple months yeah and so i just i knew that you know in order to get the exposure to get the visibility and really get the experience that i needed i, I had to go to a place where i could get as much exposure as possible mm -hmm. and you know I, I love the model of memory blue where you have potentially numerous clients and it's mm -hmm. constantly changing i'm like that's like working 10 jobs in one. So mm -hmm. that's, that's why I chose to, to make that jump. And yeah, you know, we, we had a couple conversations yeah. about the difference between DC because there were three offices then it was DC, Austin and Silicon Valley. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I truly don't know the exact reason why, but I knew I wanted to be in Silicon yeah. Valley. And yeah, so sure. I, I made that happen.
Taking an individual's raw potential and turning them into a thriving sales professional takes the right training. That's where Memory Blue Academy comes in. Memory Blue Academy teaches participants the fundamentals of sales development and all aspects of a lead generation role, regardless of the level of professional experience or background. The course kicks off with a two-day intensive boot camp session, followed by a six-week ongoing educational program. This is the program every single Memory Blue SDR undergoes at the onset of their tenure. The curriculum covers a wide range of topics, including list building, objection handling, effective sales emails, and more. Participants will be shown how to successfully execute a diverse set of sales activities in a very short time, experiencing tangible and lasting skill growth. To learn more and sign up for a seat in an upcoming session, head to memoryblue.com academy. Smart, smart. And I remember uh, kind of uh, a precursor to this podcast. We used to, well, it wasn't on a regular basis, but occasionally we would bring back one of our alums and we'd have these fireside chats. Fireside chats. And I recorded one with Ben Carlson. And when we were when we were interviewing, I remember I said, "Hey, Libby, send it, send this to Jake. Have him listen to it, and I'm going to want to talk to him about it." And because of those fireside chats, we said, "You know what? We've got all these interesting stories. We should start a podcast." So it's kind of come full circle where you listen to a precursor to this, and then now you're appearing on the on the podcast yourself. I forgot that you shared that podcast with Ben Carlson. I was living in Dayton, Ohio at the time. With your girlfriend. She was a communications coordinator for American Airlines. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah. So we had flight benefits. So yeah. I could non-rev all over the place. Yeah. So yeah, you and I, we had like a three-hour phone call yeah. after I watched that pod or listened to that podcast. Wow. <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> so let's talk about it. So you, you decided to move to Silicon Valley. You didn't know anyone here. I lived out of an Airbnb my, my first month. Yeah. Truly, I, I didn't know a, a single soul. And Jackie... Started the same day as me. Yep. Uh, she was my day one, and Omar started a week after we did. Okay. And so the three of us, you know, Omar's, you know, from San Diego, yeah. and Jackie's from Oregon, mm-hmm. and you know, I Tristan was my mentor, and he was also from Milwaukee at Scientist, and so you know, the we kind of all gravitated toward each other, and we all had a similar energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that was that was a key yeah. component of what made truly all of us pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, is we fed off each other, and you know, Omar be here so because he had it was an endoscope company. And he's a PPM company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The PPM client. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. And, and 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 not endoscopic or endoscopic or something. Uh, It'll come to me. Yeah, it was It'll so, come to but me. But he's calling in the hospitals for PPM, and everybody's like, "Dude, you're doing PPM? It's going to be difficult." It was rough, and he was here late, like <laughs> seven thirty at night, almost every day. But it got me fired up. He's here doing this, and you know, Omar's good on the phones. And so, and I, I knew the sales process, but I didn't have that phone confidence. I was an in-person kind of guy. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I, I wasn't as comfortable in the shadows, and so. <laughs> it is though, you know, it's yeah, different. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah picking up, okay, this is working for him and he's got this hunger. And so I'm like, I can't let him outwork me. Yeah. That was the one thing. I'm like, I'm not going to get outworked here. And so if he's here late, I'm going to be here late. And if he's late and I have to leave early, then I'm going to come in on a Sunday. I'm going to do whatever <laughs> yeah. it takes. And, you know, Jackie had that same hunger and, you know, Tristan was pushing us to keep doing everything oh, yeah. possible. And so well, she's your mentor, right? Yeah. 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 He and Haggy. That's right. Hit it. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> man, those guys are great. They're <laughs> scientists. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Chris runs their, uh, 
sales ops now. Yeah. yeah, crazy. But I, all of that coming together, Manny was lit a too. fire under all of us. Mm-hmm. I think. And if if Jackie hadn't started when I started, you know, I I feel like my engagement wouldn't have been as high. Mm-hmm. And you know, all of us having that partnership and that you know cohesive camaraderie and competition, I, yeah. I think made us all want to do everything possible to, to hit those numbers. And, you know, it was, it was fun when we, when we joined, you know, we, we'd sit down in the morning and we, you know, we'd go over all of our goals and it was, it was a grind. You know, you start getting on the phones and you, you know, you'd say something that you probably shouldn't have said and your three people, like, Hey, why'd you say that? And, you know, it's like, okay, but that's, that's what I wanted. You know, yeah. I, I didn't have that type of exposure experience before. It was all on my own. You yeah. know, it's like, I walk out of this conversation with someone. It's like, well, I think I did this well, or I think I should do this. Yeah. Memory blue was the exact opposite where all of a sudden you have 20 other people who are hearing everything that you say yeah. and you get all this feedback and it sometimes it can almost be overwhelming. Yeah. It's okay. I'm going to take a little of this, a little of this. I'm going to stay true to who I am here. But yeah having that group of people that you can feed off of was was everything and it made all the difference so so talk a little bit to the listeners about what it was like moving from wisconsin to silicon valley everyone knows it's pricey out here and what that was like and how you were able to kind of make it work because a lot of times these these recent college graduates they don't think it's possible yeah it just seems so far away you had the experience of moving to socal a little bit but still like even then you you did it I got to give Joe Reeves credit okay. Okay. because before I even got hired here, he connected me with a couple other new individuals, Tristan being one of them, yeah. to talk with them. What did they do? What was their process? Most of the people here are you know, from the Bay Area. They have family from the Bay Area. So for me, I mean, it was, it was a big change. I mean, one moving 1,600 miles and mm-hmm. not knowing a soul, I mean, that's different. But two, you're in a place where the, the culture is entirely different. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are, they're more hungry. There's an energy here that I hadn't experienced before. And, you know, monetarily, yeah, there's, there's big differences. But I also looked at, you know, I was making like 30 grand when I you know, left around campus group on my base. And, you know, the, the comp at Memory Blue was, was higher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I took that into consideration, but it's, it's recognizing that this is that starting block. And if you want to make this happen, then you maybe need to make some sacrifices in your you know personal life or whatever that is. But rent, I mean, I, I moved out of the, I lived out of the Airbnb, like I said, and that was $250 a week. So a thousand dollars, you know, when I first started, I had, a, I had a roommate and, you know, that was substantial, but then I got creative. I went on Facebook, I joined some housing groups. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I went on Craigslist and mm-hmm. lo and behold, Craigslist is actually how I found the roommates that I lived with for the next three years. Really? All of them were chiropractor students Okay. at Palmer College, which is one oh, of the top chiropractor students or chiropractor schools in the nation. And so I'm like, okay, these are, you know, professionals, they're young, yeah. they're hungry, they're, you know, not screwballs. Yeah. You know, I, I'll be able to actually focus a little bit. And, you know, I, I met these guys and one of the, you know, one of them, like he, he didn't use a microwave because yeah. he thought he'd give you cancer. Yeah. And, you know, like it's kind of out there a little bit, you know, I love the microwave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Okay, you know that was a little bit different, but rent was only I think six fifty a month, and you know sharing a room with seven or a bathroom with seven people was you know a sacrifice that I had to make, but it wasn't that bad. And there's, I mean, it's it's doable, but I had to I had to be creative and you know look at it a little bit. I mean, if I just leased an apartment straight up, it'd be you know substantially more expensive than that. But there's, I mean, so many people come here for the opportunity, yeah. whether it's schooling or 
you know, even just an engineer who has the skill set and they just want to get started. There's so many people that move here. I mean, that's why Airbnb was started in San yeah. Francisco because people needed a spot to stay. So as long as you're patient with it and, you know, you don't jump in and just make a hasty, rash decision, I, I do think that it is workable. And I mean, once, you know, my girlfriend Leah moved out here because she got a job at LinkedIn, then we were able to, you know, make a decision and move into our own apartment ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it took some time, but yeah, it was, it was fun. And honestly, the, the experience of living with those chiropractor students, I mean, I got exposed to more Eastern medicine philosophy than I ever thought I'd know before. And now I go to the chiropractor every week. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. meant to be. You go to one of those guys? I did. They all moved away. Now. Uh, okay. Okay. I'll tell you what keeps coming up with Jake is the creativity theme, right? Finding a AKA being resourceful. Yeah. Right. When you can be resourceful with your creativity measures. So that's, testament to you i always testament to you too is i definitely remember like because i didn't know you as well i wasn't as involved with the around campus thing I was more working on, on the delivery side of once people started and i definitely remember being why is this kid from wisconsin like i wasn't fully aware of the around campus thing why is he out here because it takes a special person to move away from home and come out here and you said the same shit then that you said now which and it's all true and chris and i tell people people that all the time it's the opportunity is here and it's yeah. mad, crazy opportunity. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> right? where I'm at now, truly, it, I mean, I can stop. This is bragging, but I am guaranteed in the top 1% of earners in my graduating college class. Sure. <laughs> Taking five years. Yeah. Only being out for four years. Right. If I had stayed in Wisconsin, I'd probably be a mid level manager at Quick Trip. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah, which is no That'd disrespect. No, 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 no. Right. That, yeah, right. The career fairs, yeah. all of it, that's the opportunity. It's yeah. localized. It's yeah. smaller organizations that don't have the potential to give someone everything that they want. And so for me, I knew I was hungry and I knew that I wouldn't be happy unless I had more on my plate than I could possibly juggle. And that's yep. who I am as a person. So I I knew I had to make that move, even though my my family and everyone else, you know, they there was questions there, sure, but I, it, it just, it made sense to me. Wow. So I'm fly out here and I go to lunch, try to get lunch with you, Jackie and Manny. And I was like, Man, these, you got some high flyers in this office and other people were busy or Omar was that Malwarebytes or what have you. But like, I, I was always impressed and it's great to see you doing, doing so well. Now I'm not surprised. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> right. You got no choice. No. Right. Quarterly quota, you know, you got to deliver. <laughs> So uh, what what clients were you on? I had a pile of them. I had in Denny. Yep. I had scientists. Okay. I had mobile aspects was Omar's. Yep. I yep. did PPM for them oh, for okay. a little That's bit. That's right. I had DeepGram, which is an audio transcription AI. I remember that. They yeah. just actually just got another round of series funding. I, I saw Scott, who was the CEO there, post on LinkedIn like last week, and then Rise Smart. Yep. Uh, became one of my clients in January of 2018. What did you get good at when you were in the shadows? When you were in the shadows, what did you get good at? What what, what became your kind of superpower? It's a great question. I don't want to use the word patience, but I'd say temper is what was required of me. I'm an energy guy. I mean, I talk pretty quick. And when I'm in person, it's easy to read the nonverbals. You can see what that person is displaying. You can respond to it. You can mirror really, really well. On the phone, you're trying to read all those nonverbals, and it's not as obvious. And so 
I got what I like to call commission breath when I first started. Commission. It's not even my turn. I have to actually give credit to Josh Braun out of Florida. Uh, okay. I call him on LinkedIn. It's his turn. Oh, that guy's got great, got good LinkedIn game. I love Josh Braun. Yeah, yeah. Commission breath. Mm -hmm. I'd hear the booking on the opportunity, and my ah, my voice would go away. <laughs> I'd start speaking faster. I'd get hungry. Yeah. I, I could feel it. It's on the tip you're of my tongue. Up or down. And I start salivating, and my breath would reek of this commission. Yeah. Yeah. And prospects and the people you're talking to, they can sense that. Yeah. And it's a huge turnoff. And so mm -hmm. for me, it's it's it was tempering myself, speaking with the, the same tone, not getting too excited and understanding that my solution's not for everybody. I mean, when you go into 35 businesses a day that I'm targeting and it's a bar and I know that college kids are going to go there, it's a pretty easy sell. I mean, it's spelled out. But when you're you're talking to potentially 130 you know, people a day and, you know, you're connecting with however many for C-Whips and, you know, you're not really sure who they are as a person and what they're, you know, you look on LinkedIn a little bit and you get the grasp. It's, it required an entire reframing. And I, I really struggled with it initially. I mean, Evan Wells is someone else I, I have to give a, a big kudos to because he took me to the side and as well as Scott Reynolds. It kind of gave me the, the crash course on how to make this work. Like, what you're doing, Jake, it's going to get you bookings, but you're going to struggle. Yeah. You're, you're talking too fast and you, you sound like you're eight years old. <laughs> Slow it down. Take a breath. Wait the two seconds. You know, just pump the brakes. And it was taking a little bit of that, staying true to who I am, mm -hmm. keeping the energy there. That's, that's all important. But mm -hmm. adopting a little bit, okay, of this and a little bit of that staying in the shadows still that's that's where i really made the the most improvement and now i mean everything that we do i mean with the pandemic the last 22 months mm -hmm. has been virtual i mean mm -hmm. going on site to a client is a thing of the past mm -hmm. almost so I mean, this is the first time i've been on site in a long time mm -hmm. so figuring out how to do that was one of the as we call it pillars or building blocks stepping stones that led me to be successful long-term when I you know, started taking on more responsibility with other roles, but figuring out how to mirror that and meet people where they're at and not be overly excited and understanding that what I'm talking about might not make sense for this person and that's okay. That was the hardest thing for me to learn mm. is that it's okay for that person not to be the perfect fit mm. and you don't have to shove it down their throats. There's ways to be strategic and weed that out and mm -hmm. help illuminate that. Mm -hmm. But also, if it's not a good fit and there's no pain, pushing and pushing that person isn't going to get the outcome that you want. Right. Learning how to nurture, learning when to you know ease off the gas a little bit and keep them you know as a priority, but maybe not drown them as much. Mm -hmm. That was all all stuff that I I had no experience with before I started. Doing. And you know, Chris mentioned an earlier podcast when we do with your 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 buddy Omar. You know, he had you and Omar sit next to each other for a reason. And to kind of put some of this game that you represent and your essence into the office. And you guys did. You were the culture club president, right? I was. Yeah, well, what's that? What was that? Why would you do that? And what was that? I did it for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to make sure that we had bagels every Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you always say that. Before I was gluten-free. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I'm all about the bagels. Yeah. And really, I wanted to make sure that people felt included. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we were big on events and whatnot, but you know, coming from somewhere that wasn't here, I, I wanted to make sure that if there was someone else in my, my shoes or situation that 
they felt the same reception that I felt. I mean, I got really lucky with Joe as my delivery manager because, you know, my second week here, it was Thanksgiving. And, you know, I was out of my Airbnb. I wasn't going to fly home. I had just gotten here and I didn't know anybody. And that was going to be a pretty lonely weekend. And Joe just gave me a call. He's like, hey, man, I'm having some friends over. If you want to come for Thanksgiving, I'd love to have you. And, you know, got to meet him in a different light and some of his friends. And really for me, it's like, okay, I, I feel good about this. I, I have a place here. There's people that, you know, actually at least pretend to care about me. They, you know, I, I think so. So <laughs> they this, care. Is, this is good, but you know, you don't know that, you know, yeah. it's like everyone's new and it's all new. So, you know, Joe just extending that little bit of an olive branch made all the difference for me. And I, I wanted to, you know, do whatever I could do as well to, to make, this experience as good as possible for the people that were going to be coming on. And I wanted to pass the torch and you know keep it up. It was so fun here. I mean, I don't know if you guys still do the, the kegs and all the rest of it, but <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a blast. I mean, we had coffee drinking competitions during the first call blitz, you know, you were weak if you didn't have eight cups of coffee and you know, if your hands weren't shaking, you know, you were doing it wrong and coffee drinking. <laughs> oh yeah. It was awesome. And it was, you know, all of these different things that, you know, you, you, you bond together as a group mm -hmm. and you know a lot of times by lunch i mean we we had booked three meetings each and yeah. it was you know it was it was fun and there was a, a hungry go-getter attitude and i wanted to have a role in that so i you i did stepped into the culture club president position and i was i was quite pleased with how it went it's great so you're doing your thing making it happen and as as it works a client was had their eye on you right yeah, lo and behold, uh, Rise Smart came in in January. I'll never forget this. Actually, I had a bow tie on when they came in, uh -huh. uh, <laughs> and some plaid golf pants <laughs> and suspenders. Well, I remember that was Wisconsin Jake. Yeah, yeah. Karen Bootsma, Vince Lumagi, and Sherry Wren came in, and Joe and I—we you know, had never heard of outplacement and. You know, we were trying to, you know, get caught up on who the organization was. And once they sat down, though, they told us, we help people who have been laid off. Mm -hmm. That's what our company does. We partner with organizations that are going through layoffs, and we help all these people find that next chapter. Mm -hmm. Holy smokes. You know, I'm like, I got laid off, you know, last August. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here as a product of this exact experience. And mm -hmm. something immediately clicked. I'm like, this, this is a different type of relationship. I, I like what they do and started going on site. I mean, our headquarters was 55 Alma Din and it was, you know, four blocks away and, you know, we were a pretty new startup. So I guess it kind of worked out where you know, I was longboarding and I'd longboard to the office. Right. And Dan, the CEO is like all about it. He's like, oh, this guy, you know, he's yeah. like bringing this young energy and this culture and whatnot. Right. And right. <clears throat> they had no SDRs and, you know, I sit there and we, you know, make some dials and stuff. And at the time, I mean, outplacement was a hot demand product. And so set some pretty big meetings for the enterprise group and got the, the visibility that I needed. And thankfully it was a small company. And mm -hmm. if it had been a lot bigger, if I had other SDRs, I don't know if I would have been given the chance, but it started making sense where it's like, okay, we can maybe bring Jake on board and, you know, give him a little bit more responsibility. So we started, having those conversations and all of a sudden in July they opened up the full-time position and everyone gave me my blessing here at Memory Blue mm -hmm. to you know throw my hat in the ring there and I interviewed for it and 
sure enough, they were like, Vic, if you want to you know, come on board as our, our first SDR, we'd, we'd love to have you. And it just, it, it worked out. And thankfully, thankfully, I'm still there to this day. What'd you do for them when you converted? I was doing two different things. Mm -hmm. So I started out as the SDR, still setting appointments for the enterprise group. And we also had launched a new line of service called Rise Smart Express. So it was an e-commerce outplacement solution that individuals or smaller size companies could purchase per program with a credit card. And you wouldn't need a contract or anything like that to get set up. And I had a, a small quota, I think of 150,000 for my first year and mm -hmm. exceeded that pretty easily. And then I got elevated into a business development manager role where I started taking on a smaller territory and building out some accounts. And then I brought on and trained our next SDR to replace me and then got moved up into the position I'm at now. And was that always your goal? That was always my goal. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to carry a quota. I wanted to have that responsibility. And thankfully they, they made it happen for me. And it was the, the individual steps at the time. I'm like, oh, I, I want it all at once. You know, mm -hmm. Everyone says that, especially here. You know, yeah. like, oh, oh my gosh. I two remember. weeks in, I want to get hired out. <laughs> it was like a pack of, of badass hyenas. I keep using hyenas or wolves, hungry wolves in the wintertime. I'd come out here and like to a T, everybody was ready for the next thing, right? And a lot of game in, in this office, so I kind of get it, right? But that's like the good and the bad because we get these these hungry wolves who want to move on to the next thing. We're like, oh, not yet. Maybe, maybe not. Just wait. Just hold on. But – does it mean you weren't all immensely talented because you all obviously are but you're great now when you went into that next role though like what were some of the muscles you had to develop that you had to develop quite yet because you had your, your experience i give some time to think but you had your experience from going door to door for around campus and then you kind of got the, the shadow mastery of the phones shadow boxing yeah yeah it's like i think of like a ninja in the shadows yeah but you know the dark arts so but then you know, you're going back to closing. You've got to learn, relearn some, maybe relearn a little bit, learn some new stuff. And I ask that too because we got SGRs who we've got Jake Aikens of 2021, 22 working here now, and they're like the hungry wolf. They want to go. They want to go. Say, okay, I know you're not going to always listen to Chris and Mark because we would listen to some of the podcasts, and these guys, gals, got stuff to say about it. The chops that were the hardest for me to build was learning how to incorporate more than one stakeholder. Interesting. Mm, okay. When, when you're at Memory Blue, you're calling one person. You're setting a meeting with that one person for your AE. Mm -hmm. And it's it's pretty translative how that works. Mm -hmm. When you're working on closing a deal, you have the first person that you start working with. And if you don't know how to manage the process initially, all of a sudden the, the budget's a little bit out of scope. And mm -hmm. there's you know different people involved than you expected. And you know, how do I control these timelines? Because when it was the B2B, it was, you know, I only had 90 days. I mean, that was the entire mm -hmm. cycle. And you had to push and push and push and push. And everyone kind of understood that. Mm -hmm. But working with businesses, especially HR teams, mm -hmm. it's entirely different. So one, if their timeline is different than what you're selling, how to make that fit, how to incorporate more people, how to leverage, all of that was were tools that I didn't really have in my belt. And mm -hmm. truth be told, I, you know, had some bad experiences, had some, some good experiences, you know, and all of it kind of led to me understanding what it was going to take to succeed working true enterprise scope size deals, mm -hmm. but learning how to include more than one person in mm -hmm. the conversation mm -hmm. and balance those expectations and 
meet those delivery needs, that, that was a, a huge challenge for me at first, especially when you don't know how to make those introductions or how to include it or, you know, open that up. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you've got, you've closed a lot of deals in your time. I have. Okay. What's your favorite win? I have favorite wins at every organization I've been a part of. I mean, there's the big wins that I have, you know, now enterprise size, you know, organizations that I work with that, you know, I'm super happy about, but honestly, the, the biggest wins for me are the ones that came when I was younger, especially around campus group. Like the, the instance with where I drew that towing company ad yeah. on, on the back, yeah. I never thought that would work. I mean, I, honestly, I, I went in there kind of like I'm the sales team leader. I got to you know, set an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go in. I'm like, this, this doesn't really make sense. That's one of them. Kind of a cliche story. Another like, best sale I've ever made was getting my girlfriend to go out with me now. Yeah. All right. 38 asks. Get out of here. 30, I'm not kidding. I got rejected 37 times. You better, thank goodness there wasn't HR involved. Oh, I know. <laughs> Nowadays, it would never fly. Yeah. Wow. Was this in college? In college. I had a girl, my ex-girlfriend, almost seven years, and Leah had a boyfriend of six years. And we, <laughs> we were both in the same honor society for communications, and I was working around campus. So I was at bars. You know, I, I came into the first honor society meeting my super fifth year, smelling like cigarettes and reeking like beer because I was hanging out with bar owners all day. And, you know, we were shooting the breeze. And showed up like 15 minutes late for an honor society meeting. I'm kind of grungy and she was gorgeous. She had this like beautiful necklace on. She looked super, super good. And I sat right in front of her and you know, we're setting up the you know future meetings that we're going to have for this group. And they're like, Hey, can we meet on Wednesdays or Sundays? And Leah raised her hand. She's like, I work on Sundays and Wednesdays. And I raised my hand and I'm like, I work Sundays and Wednesdays too. And we kind of look at each other like, that's weird. And the guy who was running it, the professor is like, well, where do you guys work? And Leah goes, I work for the Alumni Foundation, our top seller. I'm like, that's interesting because I work at the Alumni Foundation <laughs> and I'm our top seller. <laughs> she proceeds in front of everybody to say, I am the top seller and I've never seen this guy in my life in front of 30 people, a professor, the dean of the, yeah. like, I mean, like these are yeah. like, yeah, yeah. I'm grungy. I yeah. have no recourse yeah, 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 yeah. in the corner. Right. Had, she, had she never seen you? No, we never met. Okay. Because the semester I started, she was studying abroad in Spain. Okay. So I'm like, okay, this, this, I'm not going to take this laying down. <laughs> yeah. So first meeting the orientation, then I, I show up a little bit late, you know, time management wasn't my strong suit at the time. Yeah. There she is. I'll never forget her face. It's like, holy smokes, this guy's actually here. Like, he's, he wasn't <laughs> yeah, full of yeah. it. I signaled her out. I'm like, I'm going to sit next to you, and I'm going to crush you every day. And I did. <laughs> she never beat me. Not one day. First day, I sold like four times that she did. I'm like, it's a pleasure working with you. I patted her on the head, and I got up and left. Like, I was so condescending. And then I found out she had a boyfriend. I had a girlfriend. Yeah. And then me and my girlfriend broke up and yeah. then a couple weeks later she and her boyfriend broke up and i had a not the most perfect reputation and she wasn't going to give me the time of day yeah and i had to be so persistent yeah i had to kind of reinvent myself <laughs> and clean myself up a little bit yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden it was the next january so i you know we were on the same dodgeball team so every thursday yeah. every sunday i was asking her out no <laughs> no 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 yeah. no yeah. Finally, I got a call out of the blue. Jake, if you want to take me out, today is your chance. Really? I will give you one chance today. 
I had a, like another date plan. Yeah. Like I, you know, I had totally flipped the script, so I had to you know, yeah. cancel that and make all this happen. And lo and behold, it went really well. And here we are now to this day. But oh, that first interaction, I never thought I could recover from that. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, so those are the wins. What about? Is there a loss that haunts you? Yes, uh, health court organization out of Greensville, South Carolina. Okay, from last year. Yeah, we had it. We our solution fit their needs better. We just we we fell short on the demo. If I could have had a little bit more prep time with mm -hmm. a, a few of the people on my group that were involved, I know that it would have been handled differently. Yeah, it was the hardest executive presence learning of my entire life, and realizing that just because I'm 28 years old and I've only been doing this for you know 10 years or so doesn't mean that I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes always falling back on people that are twice your age with 10 times the experience doesn't lead to the success that you hoped it would. Mm -hmm. And so really focusing and having that introspective discussion with myself and realizing that you had every tool there, mm -hmm. you knew what you needed to do. Mm -hmm. You just didn't push as hard as you should have to mm -hmm. make it happen mm -hmm. haunts me mistakes mm -hmm. i had it i could have controlled it mm -hmm. i didn't and that's on me mm -hmm. interesting so it sounds like you let some other senior folks be more involved in i let my own insecurity mm -hmm. drive that interaction yeah where i should have been a little bit stronger in what i believed was the best practice yeah uh, based on experience and everything else i knew that that was what i thought the right process should be, mm -hmm. but didn't push as hard as I should have, and it fell short. And so I will never let that happen again. That's good. Not that I know everything. Yeah. <clears throat> At least being upfront and saying, this is what I think and this is why, and mm -hmm. validating that, expressing myself openly is a tough lesson to learn, especially mm -hmm. when it could have gone the other way and would have. Mm -hmm. It's hard, right? Because you want to be respectful and defer to the folks. It's supposed to be a team selling, like getting that the money. It's not, you can't jump 15 feet, but there's also a time you kind of need to give me the ball or maybe I'm going to give the ball and I'll give you the ball, but not, you're not ready. I don't want to give you the ball yet. Right. Question. So you're out in the Valley. You've been, you worked at memory blue. Yes. You had a couple classroom clients, rise smart and they got acquired. How do you, you definitely read and listen to things. Cause I can, you were like that when you worked here, but you're still like that now. How have you stayed focused on not getting distracted by all these companies? all these opportunities and, you know, I guess, what do you see some mistakes your peers make, you know, in terms of like the movement and resisting the urge to move? Somebody got funding and maybe they come at you with like a 15, $20,000 higher base. I have a kind of a different perspective on this. Sure. I don't necessarily think that one solution makes the most sense for everybody. I mean, there's, there's people who are destined to be lifetime SDRs because mm -hmm. they're really, really good at it. Yeah. The issue is a lot of companies don't value the SDR oh, to the yeah. degree that they should. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Personally, I think the SDR functions harder than the AE function. Mm -hmm. Breaking in that initial outreach, the cold call conversation. I mean, an inbound lead that gets sent to me. 10 times easier to do something with than just reaching out and calling someone. Right. I think the mistake that a lot of people have is they don't know what they want to do. They don't have that mapped out where I want, or they're not confident in just saying, I love being an SDR. It's a great job. Mm -hmm. It's a great career. 
I can do this forever. I feel like a lot of people want that next step because they think that's how you get the money. Mm -hmm. They think that I need closing experience, even if it's not what makes the most sense for them. And a lot of people get in this track where a year in, if they don't see what that next step is, they just leave. They go to another SDR job thinking that, okay, this is going to be better. Having no validation or real rationale scientific process for why they're doing it they just hope that it's going to yield a different outcome mm -hmm. that hope is where i challenge a lot of people mm -hmm. because if you like being an sdr and you like doing that process there's organizations that absolutely will value that and that you can do that long term mm -hmm. it's just finding the company that's going to put that onus on you and let you do that mm -hmm. that's where there's a little bit of a gap right and so I don't think that two years in, everyone should be thinking about moving. I also don't think that nine months in, everyone should, you know, want to leave or be afraid to. I, I think it does depend on what you want. I mean, for me, I, I was a bottom line take home person. Mm -hmm. I mean, from our first conversation, mm -hmm. I was concerned about what I was going to be bringing home mm -hmm. and how I could make that happen as quickly as possible required me to really take a step back and build up the foundations that are required to excel. Mm -hmm. Being an SDR for six months and then moving into a closing position, I would have failed. Mm -hmm. Flat out. I know that with 100% confidence because I, I would have thought that I had the bedrock, but it wasn't enough to build on. Mm -hmm. You have to have every one of those painful learnings. You have to go through every one of those bad calls. Mm -hmm. Get that feedback to process to know how to do it better moving forward. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people don't give themselves the time that they need to get that full exposure. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm so glad I spent all of my mm -hmm. nine months here working on every client I did and didn't get hired out a minute sooner mm -hmm. because all of those different conversations gave me the context that I need to do what I do now. So if I wanted to be an SDR, there's opportunity to make really good money being an SDR. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people think the SDR is an entry level job. They don't see it as something to, you know, go home and write about, hey, I'm an SDR. So they want to do something else just for that title or that logo, not really processing or analyzing, do I like what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of companies, and I think what we're going to see moving forward is a lot of companies start to increase the value of the SDR because it's almost harder, I think, to get a really good outbound SDR than a good AE. You, you challenge my take. Challenging some conventional wisdom there, which is good. Yeah. I like the idea of you challenging. If you follow Tito Bort yeah. on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. his methodology about the SDR, I mean, if if you give people a pathway to, I mean, and a lot of times it comes down to managers need to understand what the employees want. I mean, that's, that's the bedrock of any foundation of success. And I think a lot of times if people sat down, like, what do you want? It's comp. Yeah. How can we make that happen being an SDR? Yeah. I mean... Inbound and everything else is great, but a powerful outbound sales development engine is irreplaceable. Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like if companies maybe offered I mean, $20,000 more to an SDR to stay at that position would give them more opportunity, give them more exposure to make an informed decision if they want to move to the AE role or if they like doing what they're yeah. doing and they're really good at it. That company needs someone instead of letting them yeah. leave and then replace them with someone. And you know, there's retention costs and recruiting mm -hmm. costs and everything associated with that. I, it's interesting. That would give people the space to say it's okay. 
I actually do want to keep being an SDR for a little while because there's a lot of pressure to not want to do it for a while. So people are less likely to admit that in the open and in the public because they don't partially because it's not valued that way. Right. So that would be interesting to see. Right. It'll be a slow shift, but I, yeah. I do think we'll start to see it. You got to get companies that want to pay up for that. And there are some out there. It's hard to find them. You want to comp your AEs or you know people that are closing the business, and that's what everyone's focusing on. But how those opportunities come to fruition, I, I feel like is incredibly overlooked. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I mean, me personally, if I got paid the same to close as I do to be an SDR, I strongly would have considered staying in the SDR role. Interesting. So what does this mean for you Like, as you kind of progress with your career? Like, where do you want to take things? Mr. California? Where I want to take things is I want to build something of my own. Okay. Not necessarily start my own company, but I want to go to an organization that doesn't have a vamped out sales structure. I mean, I've at Rise Smart, I've worked on you know the demand generation side. Mm -hmm. I've done some sales ops stuff. I've done you know the full cycle closing. So I'd love to get my hands in all of that because I, I feel like the biggest gap right now is in how leads are generated, how they're passed over, how that's translated, how they're qualified, and then how they're actually followed up with. And so if I can bridge that gap and create a cohesive process using all of my experience, that would, oh, that would give me so much energy. <laughs> and you'd like to do that for yeah, at some point in what type of role? Create a scalable model. Yeah. I mean, the title of my position yeah. wouldn't, I mean, truly it's not as relevant to me as yeah. what I'm actually able to produce and what I'm doing. Nice. Interesting. Yeah, but you, you seem like you're real passionate about what you sell. I am. I love what we sell. I yeah. mean, career coaching, it's everything. I mean, not just executive coaching, it's mm -hmm. development coaching for not even high potential employees, for every person because mm -hmm. everyone's struggling with something. Mm -hmm. I mean, truly. And a lot of people right now are putting the you know, the great resignation and you know everything, the great reshuffle that we're seeing right now on compensation. And that's, that's the catalyst, that's the onus, mm -hmm. but it's not everything. I mean, mm -hmm. people maybe have had some discontent with their manager for two years. And now since the organization across the streets offering me more comp, no, I can take that yeah. jump, that was, that was but no we're not really addressing what the actual issue is. Mm -hmm. And so by giving people the opportunity to work with someone who understands where they're coming from and where they're at, we can really get at the root of what makes individuals tick. How do we keep people engaged and give them the opportunity at the organization they're already at mm -hmm. so people don't have to go through all of that change? You don't have to start working with a recruiter and check out of the job, but still kind of phone it in to you know, meet your KPIs and you know, be half in, half out. Mm -hmm. If what you want can potentially be built or available, that that organization almost has a responsibility to deliver that for you. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing from a career coaching standpoint is helping individuals learn what the next iteration of their job might be mm. before the company is even prepared to make that happen. So we can start skilling people to what that next role is going to look like. By the time they have those skills, then we can work with that manager to build out that position. So then they seamlessly roll into that mm. instead of being like, okay, now I'm upset. I don't have any more opportunity here. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm going to rip the cord out and I'm going to you know, entirely start over again. It's not successful for the individual, and most of the time, it's not successful for the organization. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we're 
bridging that and it started with outplacement by providing career coaching but everyone needs some some career coaching even if it's you know from a minute development standpoint or it's how do i get really really good at what i'm already doing mm -hmm. there's benefits there so jake you obviously are in the knowledge self-improvement or gathering knowledge like what are some things you do listen to read i try to read different sales books. I'm terrible at remembering what the yeah, actual okay, titles yeah. are. The one that I'm looking at right now, it was written by a lead FBI hostage negotiator. Never split the difference. Never split the difference. It's like he's a memory, former member of a client. No way. Yeah. We do work with him on the headhunting side of the house. Oh, yeah. you got to give everybody that book. <laughs> we, did, we did outsource work. I think they converted their SDR. I can't remember. And then we do H, and then we do the entire work for But anyways, yeah. yeah. So keep going and just yeah read i mean I, I try to pick up i, I read one book a quarter which mm -hmm. doesn't sound like a lot but it's I mean, a lot it's better than a lot of people yeah it's it's a little bit it's a little bit and i mean i mentioned a couple different linkedin leaders you know I, I try to i'm a digestible guy i mean i i majored in rhetoric and writing i love literature i love my books but you know i, I can't sit down and read a you know 80 page research article so you know i, I follow some pretty prominent thought leaders. And I, I try to pick up a, a few things here and there. And honestly, it's it's taking sales training. So, I mean, I, I just yeah. finished the Gartner Challenger mm -hmm. uh, sales training course. And I I love that. I mean, it kind of revamped the way that I've been thinking about, you know, talking about conflict and creating that constructive tension. And it's, it's forced me to get a little uncomfortable with the sales process, but it's also the way people are buying now. I mean, there's so many solutions. Everyone can do their own research. You know, yeah. the, the need for a, a credible, knowledgeable salesperson is more important than ever because everyone has knowledge. Everyone mm -hmm. has information. So how you distinguish that is really where we differentiate ourselves. Yeah. So understanding how to leverage those data points and, and make people aware of the pains and feel that pain and and get down there with them and then start painting the solution is a little bit uncomfortable mm -hmm. and requires a little bit of time to adjust to but it's it's been working so far so i'm pleased with it but yeah it's just being open to new ideas i mean the the ways that i was prospecting in 2017 when i started here mm -hmm. are, are different now i mean mm -hmm. leveraging linkedin and constantly knowing where people are spending their time and meeting them there. I mean, it used to be email. Now people don't really email anymore. So mm -hmm. now you can text people. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've texted and gotten meetings yeah. with decision makers. So being comfortable though, with taking out the phone and actually texting someone yeah. and saying, Hey, this is Jake. I added you on LinkedIn. Totally understand if this, you know, isn't a, if you don't want to chat this way, but this is why I'm reaching out. It's a little mm -hmm. bit different from yeah, when I first started here. And so it, it's constantly finding those ways to make an impact, deliver a, the value that people need. And it's gotta be the value that people need. Mm -hmm. If you're illuminating things that don't make sense or it doesn't resonate, it's not gonna go anywhere. Especially mm -hmm. when I have a problem, I can just get online and look it up myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't have to come to the salesperson for knowledge anymore. No. Right? It's much easier to get that. And they'll contact you later in the cycle. And if you wanna be credible, you have yeah. to have more knowledge than they do, which yeah. is impossible about their business. Yeah. So what you can do is talk about similar situations, what mm -hmm. else you can help with, other things that you've addressed, maybe different ways of presenting it that they hadn't considered before. Mm -hmm. That's how you establish credibility. Now. Right. And it's that constant hunger to try to find those ways and uncover it and make it happen that I think separates successful people from complacent people. Agreed.
So as we cl close things out, if you could look back to you know where you are now and where you were the night before you started at Memory Blue, what advice would you have for yourself? Sponge, sponge it up. <laughs> I mean, because there's so much here. There's so many clients. I mean, even and there's so many people that have great skills. Yeah. I mean, your delivery managers, you guys coming in. I mean, with there's so much to pick up on, but like a sponge, you can't hold everything. Mm -hmm. you, know, you gotta let a, a little bit seep out. When you're oversaturated, you gotta let something go. And I feel like some people struggle with that because, you know, I don't know if you still do the Costigan and the Sandler sales trainings mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that right off the bat when you start, it's okay, I'm on the, the PIP, or not the PIP plan, but the ramp up plan yeah, and yeah, okay how start. do i make this work and yeah. you know you're trying to hit these numbers then focus on the sales trainings and then you're still trying to get hired yeah, out and make that happen it, yeah. it can be a lot and it's important to pick up right away but also stay true to who you are what mm -hmm. got you here i mean you got hired for a yeah, reason yeah, you have something yeah, that right. people yeah. saw that has value and that's a little bit different so don't lose sight of that but also be willing to grow i mean you it's sad, but I mean, there were some people who, you know, a few months in, they were like, I, I know everything. I need to know. Mm -hmm. you know I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to start that next chapter. And it's like, that's such a sad outlook because mm -hmm. even if you know everything on paper, if you think you do just listening to another conversation and okay, this worked for this individual. And then taking that time to do role plays. I mean, that that's the difference. And I, I should have brought this up earlier. Yeah. The role plays. I had never done a role play before I started here. I mean, like we had, you know, the fake mock situations and when I was around campus, but they were, yeah. they didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to buy this? Yeah, I want to buy it. All right, great. You know, handshake, done deal. <laughs> Sitting down and, you know, having Tristan and Chris give me seven no's and it's like, okay, how do I, how do I back this up? How do I uncover again? That was a situation I had never been in before and sitting down with, I mean, even Dalton France. Oh, wow. You know, he, he was another guy who had, yeah. a, you know, he's, I think at Facebook as a recruiter right now. Mm -hmm. And so. You know, just all these perspectives that all these different people had gave me everything that I needed. But if I wasn't willing to sit down, if I wasn't willing to listen, if I wasn't receptive to it, it would have fallen on deaf ears. And I think that's that's what this place is all about. It's it's all available for the taking if you are open to it. You it's just all have to available for the taking. All available for the taking. Hundred percent. I took. You took. That's great. That's great. You, you, you took us down. That was a lot. Yeah, a lot of good wisdom there. I can't wait to see where you go with all this. We'll yeah, see. We're, we're only getting started. I know, dude. You're so young. Right? It's yeah. fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun. fun. It's fun. Thanks it's for fun. coming back to your old stopping ground. Thanks yeah. for reaching out. Yeah. Oh, no, this, this sure. is where it all started. Oh, no, I always this... come back to you, man. <laughs> always. This is where it all started. Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks, Jake. We appreciate the time. Appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, great. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep. For almost two decades, Memory Blue has helped high-tech firms tackle their sales development challenges and carve out bigger market share in their space. Building and executing a carefully designed multi-touch cadence that generates a flow of sales qualified leads is the hallmark of our business. Our flexible solutions and talented professionals produce real results that clients can bank on. 
The end goal of our outreach is scheduling a qualified meeting so you can provide a comprehensive discovery call and bring the sale to a close. This carefully crafted process produces new business opportunities that have converted into over $1 million in closed deals. Hundreds of high-tech companies have trusted Memory Blue to help them grow, penetrate new markets, and test the viability of a new product. If you're interested in learning more about Memory Blue's full sales development services, head to memoryblue.com sales.